And for those of you who remain or who are with us on the live stream, um, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Titus. It's a, it's a tiny little New Testament book. If you can't find it, feel free to use the table of contents or it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then it's Ark, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Go Eat Popcorn, or God's Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then all the T books are in alphabetical order and Titus is at the end of those. So... And just like just like they planned it, um, it's a short little book. We'll be spending a few weeks on it uh, in a series called "Living Hope," as we consider what the ministry of the church in the world is to be. We'll be looking at the intro- introduction this morning, the first four verses of chapter one. This is God's word, Paul. A servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus. My true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, reveal to us the truth of your word that we might know you and who you have called us to be that we might be a people who are known as Christ's. We ask this in his name. Amen. So, what is the church for? It's not a irrelevant question. I mean, it, we're asking you to Join us for prayer, to join us for worship, to join us for evening gatherings, small groups, discipleship groups, one-on-one things, all sorts of ministry opportunities and service. Why? What's it all for? Why is it worth your time, your energy, your resources? What is the church for? There's a show on PBS called Ask This Old House, which is a spinoff of This Old House. But they have a little uh, uh, snippet in that show where they pull out some bizarre tool and they pass it around and they take turns. What is it? And they come up with all sorts of ridiculous explanations of what these funny looking tools are supposed to do until it gets to the last guy. And he says, this is what it's for. And you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's, that's why there's that flap there. Or that's, that's why it spins that way. Like before it just looked like some weird alien device. But now, now that I know what it's for, it sort of makes sense. Well, the book of Titus is written to a pastor that Paul left in Crete to, to help the churches there get organized and be what God had called them to be. And, and Paul goes into great detail what that looks like, what the purpose, what the form and function and meaning of the church is to be. 
In fact, this introduction is the longest of all of Paul's introductions outside of the book of Romans. And he basically covers every single point that he's going to make later in the letter. And so over the next two hours, I will be making all of those points too. This long intro points to that all-important purpose. What's it all for? What's the church for? We could answer that question a lot of different ways, but what Paul tells us here is that the church was formed by God that he might reveal himself and his salvation to people in a lost and dying world. God has formed his church that he might reveal himself and his glorious salvation to people in a lost and dying world. And we're going to examine a little bit more what that means for us under four headings. God's elect, God's promise, God's word, God's grace, and peace. God's elect, God's promise, God's word, and God's grace and peace. The first thing I want us to see is that God has chosen to claim a people for his own possession that he might form and shape them into his likeness and image. That's what Paul means when he talks about his ministry for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. This this faith that he wants Christians to grow in, this knowledge that he wants them to have, this knowledge of what is true and right and good, isn't just something relegated to textbooks or tests, something that they can recite off when asked. It's a truth, it's a faith that flows out in their lives that accords with godliness. It's a faith and a knowledge of truth that transforms them to be more and more like God. That's what godliness is, to be shaped in his likeness and in his image. This is what Paul's entire ministry was about. He announces that he is a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He holds this high place of apostle, commissioned by Jesus himself to to take the truth of the gospel out into the world, to to raise up churches, to, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. But he also holds this low office of servant, literally slave of Jesus, that he might do these things not for his own glory, but for God's ends, for God's purposes. And he tells us that he is an apostle and a servant of God for this purpose and this purpose alone. For the sake of God's elect. Which is to say that everything that God has given for his church, everything that God does, all of the work that he's doing is for the sake of his people. That they might grow in their faith that they might grow in their knowledge of the truth in such a way that they would become more and more like Jesus in all of life. That's a glorious calling. 
That's a high calling. It's so high, it might lead you to despair. Who is up for this? We have a history of having pets in our household. We have a dog. And for many years, we took him to a vet that will remain nameless. We loved the vet. They were great. You know, we, I would go in and like the, the people behind the desk would go, oh, it's Remy. And they would come out and they'd give him treats. And he's so cute. And they'd hug him and pet him and all that kind of stuff. And the vet would spend extra time like, oh, here's what's going on. And be watchful for this. And they just sort of knew you and loved you and your pets. And it was just obvious. And then they got bought out by one of these conglomerates that's like buying up all the vets. And over the last two years, it's just changed. It's the same people. And they, they don't seem to enjoy their job as much. They don't come out from behind the desk and pet the dog anymore. The vet is with me for maybe 30 seconds. I think it's the vet. It might be a vet tech. I don't know. Because I don't know them anymore. And when our dog got a double ear infection, I called to make an appointment. I'm like, well, we can't schedule you for a few months, but you can call every morning at 8 o'clock and see if there was a cancellation. And I'm like, um, no, I'm going to call another vet. And I did. And they have welcomed us. And they come out from behind the counter and they pet the dog. And it's just like, you want to go there and say, have you forgotten what you were here for? Have you forgotten why you went to veterinary school? Have you forgotten your love for animals and and their owners and caring for them even when they're sick? Or is it just become about living under the oppression of your corporate overseers to keep the metrics up? Why are you here? Is it just so that the pastor feels good about the metrics? The budget? The numbers? The noses in the seats? Or have you come to a faith that there is a God, the one living and true God, who is full of righteousness and holiness and goodness, And he has come to seek and save the lost. And he has made himself known to you. He has chosen you as his own precious child and has worked in you to instill a hunger and a thirst for righteousness so that you come to the church, you come to the prayer group, you come to the evening gathering, you come to worship to get a taste of this glorious and mighty God who loves you. And you don't schedule church around the things you have to do. You schedule the things you have to do around being able to meet with your God. To know Him. To be known by Him. And to become like Him. Why are you here? Everything that we do in our weakness and our frailty is for the purpose of seeing you have as many opportunities and avenues as possible to be shaped and formed by God and His likeness and image. Do you struggle to pray? Join us at 9.15 every Sunday morning where we get together and pray with little children crying out with their voices and aged adults lifting up every prayer and petition. Do you feel lost and alone? I don't know anybody. 
Join one of our small groups and get connected in community. Or our one-on-one discipleship program, if that's where you feel more comfortable, so that you can live life together and spur one another on in love and good deeds. Come, join us for evening gathering, which I know is at the most inconvenient time for you. Because there is no convenient time. It doesn't matter where we put it. It's going to be just a little bit inconvenient. And that's okay. And hear about how God meets with his people, even in their suffering, as we study the book of Job. Or volunteer to minister to the children or the youth in our other programs. Why are you here? If it's not to meet with God, to know him and to make him known to one another and to the world. God has chosen a people to form in his likeness, in his image. And in fact, that has always been the point. That has always been what God has been about. This is not something new. For we read that Paul says that uh, his ministry is in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. This this eternal life with God was the whole purpose. It's why he made us in his image, that we might live together with him. It's why he met with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. It is why he is at work redeeming a people for his own possession, that forever and ever we might know in Christ what it looks like, what it means to be God's people forever. And that life he's promised was always the plan. He made that promise before the ages began that he would have a people. Before he made the heavens and the earth, he was going to make a people. And he never lies. And even though sin has entered the world, even though there has been all sorts of atrocities worked out on the human race, even by members of the church itself, even though there has been trial and tribulation, there has been tragedy, God has remained true to his promise to claim a people for himself that they might live forever with him. And that's why he's left us here. That's why his church exists in this world, is to shine forth with that hope to people who need it, who are so often directionless, who find their meaning in life by how much pleasure they can enjoy or by how much money they can accumulate, or by how high they can climb on the rung at work, or by what kind of car they drive, or by what kind of clothes they wear, or by how much they're respected in the community. People who find their meaning and purpose in all of these things that fail and fade. But God has set us here with an eternal unshakable hope that we exist to have joyful fellowship with our God and creator and one another. Or as 
the ancient theologians said, to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. That's why we're here. That's what the church is for. And there's nothing new about that. And so it leaves us with a question, where are you heading? What is the North Star that guides and gives you direction in this tumultuous world that gives you a confidence that what you're about is meaningful and has a purpose and a point. It's going to get you somewhere. I did campus ministry with Reformed University Fellowship for 10 years before coming here, and they have a saying in RUF. I think they still have it. You're always moving towards Christ or away from Christ. There's no third option. You are always, at every moment in this life, only ever moving towards Christ or away from Him. And if you're drifting, you're drifting away. And what God has called His people to do and to be is a people focused and fixed on this eternal hope that God has called us to be His people. That we live in that hope. We grow in that hope. That we might only ever always be moving closer to Christ, growing more into intimacy with Him, understanding more of who He is and what He is doing and has done for us and for the world. And that ought to shape everything, such that our faith isn't something that we tack on to our jobs or something that we tack on to our families or something that we tack on after we finish with our hobbies, but that it shapes and molds and influences everything. We live a hope that is unshakable. What does that mean for how you do your job? What does that mean for how you conduct your relationships? What does that mean for how you Live every facet of life if you were chosen of God to live forever with Him. This has always been God's plan to have a people. And He is gathering that people now by shaping and forming His people in His likeness and image and sending them out to proclaim His word. We see this Because Paul says that we have this hope of eternal life that at the proper time, that hope was manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. There is a sense in which we live in a world that is utterly and completely Complex and inhuman. The things that are asked of us undermine what it means for us to actually be what we were created to be. You see it at the vet, like the metrics keep them from being the people who love animals and caring for them. 
and the algorithms that direct us and tell us who we should be friends with and who we should follow and reinforce what news outlets we should follow. The responsibilities that we have at work that don't give any account really for how sick you may be and you just have to show up because you might not have the job if you don't. A culture where it's growing increasingly normal for us to work out our frustrations or our anger or our fear with a firearm such that even a a six-year-old would live out that cultural reality over this past week. We live in a complex and, and grossly inhuman world. And so how is it that we are supposed to figure out how to see people come to Christ? I can't even figure out how to set the timer on a VCR I shouldn't own anymore. Much less figure out how to be a a gospel witness in this world. What does that mean? How are we supposed to do this? Here's the thing. God, who is beyond figuring out, hasn't made it complicated for us. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not complicated. At the proper time, that living hope, it manifests itself in sharing his word. That preaching, that sharing of his word that God entrusted to Paul, we have something, we know something about the content of it because Paul was given that responsibility by God our Savior. That preaching is an announcement of good news, that God saves us even from ourselves, even from this inhuman and complex world. And he calls us to something that is so utterly simple. Live out, manifest that living hope in the words and the deeds that you go about in this world. And that's not easy. Don't, don't hear me say that's easy. But it's not complicated. What are you about? I have this art book that my parents gave me when I was young, and it's, I love it. Don't ask me the title. I can't remember because I never paid attention to the title. I always open it up. And it's just full of Ways to draw whole worlds, how to draw a fire truck, how to draw a taxi, how to draw a police car, how to draw people, how to draw a horse, how to draw... But it's just with simple shapes, rectangles, triangles, circles, lines. Like you, you could make these whole worlds with just these simple little shapes. And so for years, like I had just, con- when I was maybe supposed to be paying more attention in class, would have worlds drawn on my notebook paper at school that I learned from this, this book. And, and God, in a very similar way, is renewing and restoring this world through the simple faithfulness of his people who respond to heartbreak and tragedy with 
hope. Who step into the hard places, not to try to understand and fix all the things and manipulate all the things, but with a a message that, that as bad as things are, there is good news yet. With a message that the one who made all of this and who made it good sent his own son to die for us who made it bad. That we might be restored to him. He might restore the world. What are you about? When you share your life with people, when you hear their stories, when you share your own, when you demonstrate that you care on a more deep level than people have ever seen because you know the God of all care and comfort. What is God able to do through you? When you are about good news. Look, this isn't easy. And we may be full of doubts about how we can possibly measure up to all of this. But but we read in this greeting that Paul almost always gives some form of grace and peace to you. From God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Look, it's hard, but God isn't calling us to earn the right to be his people. He isn't calling us to figure out how to transform the world. He's pouring his grace out and equipping and enabling us to live in him in a new way. Because of the faith that he's given us, Paul can say to Titus, my true child in the common faith, because of God's grace and peace, he is helping us to be more and more at peace with one another. To know one another more deeply and more truly than we could ever have imagined possible, even when we know all the bad stuff. Because God, who knows all the bad stuff, because of his grace, has enabled us to live at peace with him. Restored to him, to know him, to live a life in his presence with his blessing and favor. All of this is from the Lord. So what does your life reflect? Does it reflect a self-righteous self-confidence that you can go out and do all the things well? Or does it reflect that you know the God of all grace and peace? What is the church for? It's a good question. Maybe it's the wrong question, though. Have you heard the theme in this? It's God who's chosen a people. It's God who, on his promises, are forming them to look more and more like himself. It's God who's asking and calling his people to go out and share the good news about who he is. It's God who's overflowing with his grace and peace. Maybe it's a good question to ask, what is the church for? But a better one might be this. Who is the church for? 
And we're here to know him, to know one another, to live a life in his hope for the good of the world and all of the people in it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to live out this hope. That we might be a people who are known not for our own works, who are known not for our own greatness, but who are known by whose name we bear. We are known for being God's people, Christ's people, who overflow with his grace, who share his good news, who live out the hope we have in him. That you might receive the glory, that you might gather many people to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.